Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Numbers. Happy Monday to you, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast on this lovely Monday morning, though it may not feel very lovely because it's Monday. (laughs) But that doesn't mean it can't be lovely because you chose to turn on this podcast and listen to the Bible today. And that is great. That's awesome and super exciting. And if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, or you've gone through recently and listened to the old episodes, this is the seventh book of the Bible that you would would have listened to completely through once we're done with the book of Numbers. And I mean, that's super cool. That's really cool because most people honestly don't get through more than a couple books of the Bible. And this is the seventh book, I think, right? right? (laughs) Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, okay, that's four. And then... Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So yeah, it will be the seventh once we're done with Numbers and Luke. So that's cool. That's super cool. Okay, let's go ahead and read Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. We're going to be talking about a serpent today. And no, not Satan. This is a special serpent, a bronze serpent. And this is a very quick little story that's only mentioned here. But it's a story you're going to want to continue to remember moving forward into Israel's history because this bronze serpent becomes kind of a problem later on for sure. All right, so let's read Numbers chapter 21, 1 through 9. I'll be reading out the W.E.B. Make sure to grab that cup of coffee on this sleepy Monday morning so you can be uh, nice and wide awake. And let's go ahead and read. The Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the south, heard that Israel came up by the way of Atharim. He fought against Israel and took some of them captive. Israel vowed a vow to Yahweh and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. Yahweh listened to the voice of Israel, and he delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. The name of the place was called Hormah. They traveled from Mount Hor by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. The soul of the people was very discouraged because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, there is no water, and our soul loathes this disgusting food. Yahweh sent venomous snakes among the people, and they bit the people. Many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to Yahweh that he take away the serpents from us. Moses prayed for the people. And Yahweh said to Moses, Make a venomous snake and set it on a pole. It shall happen that everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Moses made a serpent of bronze and set it on the pole. If a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked at the serpent of bronze, he lived. So first things first, after reading all this, in verses one through three, the Israelite nation is beginning to go into the promised land. They're not going there quite yet, but they are beginning to make their way there. It's been several years, you know, numbers takes place after 
basically the entire time period of the wandering in Israel. So the Israelites are getting closer to taking the promised land. But all of a sudden, this guy, this king of Arid or a Canaanite, decides to just go and attack Israel. And there's no reason why he did this other than possibly fear, because we're actually going to see in the next coming chapters that uh, the, the nations around Israel were very afraid of them. And we're going to see a, a very specific story about that. But this Canaanite king or this king of Arid who lived in the south is what it says, heard that Israel was traveling around. So he just goes and attacks Israel and takes some of them prisoners. So the Israelites were pretty upset about this. I mean, who wouldn't be <laughs> if some random country just came in, attacked you, your country, and took some of your uh, fellow you know, neighbors as prisoners, you'd be pretty upset. So the Israelites pray to God. And I think that's really important to note here because we rarely see the Israelites praying to God, actually. We often see them going to Moses to ask Moses to pray to God, or they ask Aaron to pray to God. Now, of course, Aaron had already died by this point, but we don't often see the Israelites themselves going straight to God. So it's kind of interesting that they did because it says that they all made a vow to God. And we're going to see how important vows were back in Old Testament times. And they became so ridiculous by the time that Jesus was on the earth, that Jesus was just like, stop making vows pretty much. <laughs> but the Israelites make a vow to Yahweh and they cry out to Yahweh, basically. And they say, God, if you deliver these people into our hands then we will utterly destroy their cities. And I'm also ashamed to say that I think my mom is right. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you listen to the episode my mom and I did several months ago, we talked about a verse that was very similar to this, where um, my mom had mentioned that the word destroyed in Hebrew actually means to totally dedicate a person to God. And I said, no, no way. It just means the word destroy. But I'm finding out that uh, my mom was actually correct. And, <laughs> and when you sometimes see the word destroy in the Old Testament, it actually means to totally dedicate something to God. And I just learned this today pretty much. And there's a verse that says this in, I believe Deuteronomy chapter 27 talks about how God wanted the people to totally destroy the Canaanite people. And this was later on. And there's a footnote that actually says to totally dedicate the people to God. So sometimes the word destroy also could mean dedicate. But going back to this story, the Israelites actually do just destroy these cities, totally 100% destroy the cities. And God allowed it. And to us, that kind of seems like something God wouldn't do. Like God would not allow somebody to destroy somebody else. Like we don't think of God in that way, but there definitely are times in scripture where God allows wars and he allows certain people to destroy other people. And there's many reasons for this, but a lot of them have to do with the fact that a particular group of people are so corrupt that they are causing problems in the world, basically. They are so sinful. They are so corrupt. 
and God orders the destruction of those people. And we're going to see that all throughout scripture. And yes, God is extremely merciful and doesn't often order the destruction of people, but he will when a group of people becomes too sinful, too corrupt. And that's what happened here. God answered the prayer of the Israelites and said, yes, you may go and destroy this, these, these corrupt Canaanites here that took my people. And that's what the Israelites did. They vowed the vow and they kept the vow. They utterly destroyed everything. And this means that they took nothing for themselves. This means that they went into the cities and destroyed all the gods. And a lot of these gods, little G gods, were made out of very beautiful materials. They would be made out of like brass and wood and gold, silver, precious metals that any person would have really wanted. But Israel kept their vow. They took none of that stuff for themselves and they utterly destroyed the cities along with the Canaanites. And that's why the name of the place was called Hormah. And Hormah means destruction. So yes, there are in fact times where God does order the destruction of certain groups and certain people because God is very just. And without justness, there is no mercy. So God has to be both. So we can't get upset when we see stories like this and be like, oh, God is so mean. Well, no, he's not. He is very just, but he's also very merciful as well. And those two things go hand in hand. So here's another story of God's justness coming out in verses four through nine. So here's what it says. After all this happens, the people are traveling near the Red Sea and they're going to go around the land of Edom. Because remember, the Edomites refused to allow the passage of Israel through. So they'd have to go around. So as they're getting ready to go around, the people became super discouraged. They were probably really mad at the fact that the Edomites were not allowing them to go through Edom and that they would have to go around. So it says the soul of the people were very discouraged because of the journey. And that makes sense. I mean, of course, discouragement happens and God doesn't get mad at us when we get discouraged. But there is a correct way to be discouraged (laughs) and there is a wrong way to be discouraged. And these people chose the wrong way which I often do as well. So this past week, and I actually got myself a piece of furniture that I had placed an order for last year. And it was Amish made and I got a great deal on it, but they had to build it. And I was very, very excited about this piece of furniture. So excited because it was real wood. I was going to put it in my office. It was going to be like my little show piece. So I get the piece of furniture home and I go to start assembling it. And it didn't have the correct amount of pins to hold my shelves in place and the pins that were available for it that they'd given me were the wrong size so the shelves were too short for the pins and the shelves would not be held up by the pins I was very angry (laughs) you might say I was very discouraged but I was actually super mad. Like I was like, oh, I waited a whole year for this piece of furniture and it's just nothing but a piece of crap. And, you know, how dare they? And this, <laughs> like I'm telling you, I'm starting to get really, really mad. And I had to stop myself because I could feel my my blood starting to boil. And when that happens, I often say something that's really dumb. So I had to stop myself and be like, this is not 
a big deal. I can order more pins off of Amazon that are the correct size that will hold up the shelves for probably less than $10. And I don't need to freak out about this, <laughs> this issue. <laughs> oh, but there have been times where I haven't done that and I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble because I go to somebody I'm angry with, we'll just say my husband, and I tell him off and I get really mad and then we get into a fight and it causes a lot of problems. And so there's a correct way to handle disappointment and there's a wrong way to handle disappointment. But the Israelites definitely chose the wrong way instead of the right way. The right way might have been like, oh my goodness, I'm so upset that we have to go around Edom. This is not fair, but, you know, it'll be okay. We'll get around it. We're st we still have the manna. We'll be fine. But instead, they get angry at God and at Moses again. And they say, oh my goodness, we got to do another long trip. We're almost to the promised land. It's in within sight, but now it's going to take us another whoever, however long to get around Edom. And our soul hates this disgusting manna. That's what they say. And they also have a little uh, <laughs> contradiction here. In verse five, they say, for there is no bread and there is no water and our soul loathes this disgusting food. So they're like, there is no bread and our soul hates this bread. <laughs> That's really what they're doing. It's kind of funny. I noticed that when the Israelites get mad, a lot of times they, they contradict themselves because they're saying there's no bread, but they hate the bread <laughs> that they have. So they're once again complaining about the manna. They're like, we're tired of this disgusting manna. There's no food and water for us. So God responds by sending venomous snakes among the people. And they bit the people. And this was probably the next generation doing all this. Aaron was already dead at this point. Moses was getting pretty close to dying himself. Moses was very old. And the people were getting closer to moving into the promised land. So these were the children of the rebels, I suppose, that were saying all this stuff. So God basically nips this in the bud really fast. And God's like, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with how you guys are acting. So he sends the venomous snakes. So the people realize their sin and they go to Moses this time. They're like, Moses, please pray for us. And so see, this is another example of how the people themselves did not cry out to God. Instead, they cried out to Moses to stop the snakes. Pray for us, Moses, is what they say. They don't do it themselves. So Moses does, in fact, pray for the people. And so God says to Moses, make a venomous snake and set it on a pole. And it shall happen that everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So the bronze snake goes up on the pole and Moses makes it, puts it in the ground so that the people can see it. And everybody who looks, just looks at it, looks at the bronze serpent is healed. This took faith. God definitely gave these people a way out from the snake bites, but they had to have faith that just looking at the bronze serpent was going to save them. Can you imagine the people that didn't have the faith? And it was just like, that's stupid. We're not going to do that. 
they would have died from their snake bites. But the people who had faith to go and believe that all you had to do was look at the serpent to be saved, they were saved. And I find that kind of interesting that God, he doesn't always work the way we think he's going to work. Like the people probably expected when Moses prayed that God would just automatically heal their wounds. But it took work on the people's part. It took work to go and look at this snake. It took work to make the snake. And a lot of times it does take faith on our part to trust God's process through everything. So everyone who looked at the snake lived. The interesting thing about this snake is you guys probably will recognize it as the symbol of the medical field nowadays. Now, where the origin of that particular snake came from, the medical one, is actually from a Greek myth or legend, I should say, about a healing snake. But what's really interesting about that is the fact that the Greeks and the tribe of Dan, which is an Israelite tribe, often would trade with each other because the tribe of Dan was a seafaring tribe, which we'll find out later. So they would trade. The Greeks probably would hear a lot of the stories from Dan. And also later on, we will find out that the people actually ended up worshiping this serpent hundreds of years later, this serpent on the brass pole or this brass serpent, I should say, was still being worshiped and the people would like bow down to it and offer sacrifices to it and stuff. But the tribe of Dan would have been very well established at that point. Greece would have already been around and Dan and Greece would have been, uh, you know, intermingling, talking with each other. So that is where a lot of people believe that the legend of the serpent on the pole, the Greek legend came from, was because of this story in the Bible. But yeah, this is a story of what Israel went through. It's also a story of how God does not always work the way we think he's going to work because he is very just, but he is very merciful as well. So this story here is both a story of mercy and of justness. God sent the serpents, but he sent a way to heal the people as well. Well, faithful listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode this morning, and I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you guys also go over to the YouTube channel and check it out and subscribe to the YouTube channel because I want to start doing videos. I really do. I've been telling you guys this for several months now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you, I really want to get some videos up on the YouTube channel. But I also do have a lot of the podcast episodes already up on the YouTube channel. So just go over there and subscribe so that you won't miss the first video when it eventually does come out. I actually have one podcast episode on my YouTube channel that has gotten a lot of... Um, <laughs> uh, negativity. People don't like it very much. So I've gotten a lot of... Uh, comments and feedback on that particular episode. But anyway, go over to the YouTube channel, check it out, subscribe, and you can also find me at, on Facebook and on the website as well. And I'll link all that stuff in the bio of this podcast episode so you can just navigate over to whatever you want to subscribe to. Anyway, friends and faithful listeners, have a wonderful rest of your week. Happy listening and God bless.